Welcome to the Rick Z Show. I'm your host, Rick Z, and welcome to part two of our talk with Mr. Carl Allwire. Carl, thanks so much for coming back to the show. Oh, thanks for having me back. You know, we were talking about The Real Men, your original band, and we'll get back to some of the fascinating people that you've worked with, but let's just talk about your music for a second. You're a songwriter. You, you make your own albums. You go out and play guitar in The Real Men. How did that start? Well, being around people like yourself and just working with a lot of musicians and seeing how they worked and wrote their songs, I always had sort of my own ideas and just kind of started doing it one day and trying to put together songs and lyrics and, again, like I said last week, instrumental stuff, just whatever kind of caught my attention and I was interested in at the time. How many albums have you made? Just two. Just two albums. We'll hear something off of yeah. one of them maybe a little bit later. Sure. Are the same guys that play live with you when you play, or do you, do you have interchanging members? It's, it's pretty interchanging. The Real Men, as a band, performing, we do a lot of cover stuff and maybe throw in a few of my originals, uh, playing mostly locally and different clubs and places. But as far as the members on the recordings, uh, some of the stuff was done at my friend Eddie Seville's studio in Connecticut, so he played drums on most of the second record. John Okonowski also used to have a residency in Studio B in Millbrook, so he plays drums. And then mostly I played all the other instruments. You have a couple different styles I've noticed when you write. A lot of times you have this blues-tinged kind of style, probably from your love of blues music, Stevie Ray Vaughan. Sure. And Albert King and all those guys. Oh, yeah. You also have this highly acoustic kind of almost a, a really delicate ballad-like orientation for a lot of your, particularly your instrumentals. Where does that come from? Well, I think when you're playing acoustic by yourself, you sort of have to cover all the bases, as you know. And as far as writing instrumental music, probably guys like Michael Hedges and people that started to innovate in different ways... I mean, you can go all the way back to the, like, Doc Watson and, you know, the fingerstyle players. I always loved them and uh, the country blues guys like that. I noticed you do a version of Mr. Sandman uh, instrumentally. Chet Atkins' version, my best take on it anyway, because nobody can play it like him, but... No one can play it like Chet. Also a big influence to me, but sort of that whole kind of playing everything at once, if you can, especially when you're doing instrumentals, because there's no singing and you have to make it interesting. You have to have a bass line, some chords, and a melody, sort of simultaneously. Give me a couple of your absolute favorite guitar players. Uh, Jimi Hendrix. Oh yeah, I know that. Of course, Stevie Ray, and going back from him, I discovered B.B. King and Albert King and Freddie King. Um, and these are, are essentially blues guys, blues players. Yeah, but also, like I, like we were saying, uh, Michael Hedges turned my head around with a lot of that, like tapping and doing stuff that now everybody does on acoustic, but at the time was sort of new. Do you consider yourself a blues guitarist, or just do you not want to put that label on No, it? I think I am, definitely. I mean, most of what I do comes back to the blues, even if it's other types of music. Even the acoustic stuff, there's always something bluesy going on. I, I, I would consider myself influenced by a lot of things but that is certainly one of the primary well i really like all the sides to your music the acoustic stuff particularly something i like thanks and you happen to have your guitar again with you i noticed would you like to play something for us sure i'll do another instrumental uh this one goes back to the second record that i was talking about this one is called rain okay everybody let's listen
Yeah. Uh, that was Logan. Fantastic. Thank you. Great job. You have such a percussive style, Carl. There's a lot of percussion when you play, and there's a lot of almost a lyrical nature. Like, I, I can see your, your uh, songs in films. Yeah, well, I've had some things not in films per se, but a lot of TV shows and through licensing of my own music, songs like that as background music and, you know, different things. I see you as a professional musician, and how I mean that is, you know, anyone can go out and play with their band and call themselves a musician, but a professional musician subsists on the gigs that they play and whatever musical things that they're doing. You only do music, correct? Correct. One of the big staples of a musician who is supporting themselves strictly with music for a lot of people is giving guitar lessons. You do that. How, how many lessons do you give a week? Between guitar and bass, probably between 20 and 30, depending more guitar players and bass players? Yeah, definitely. And that leads me to our next interesting topic. You have a school, a Rhinebeck Music School, right here in Rhinebeck, New York, that you have started along with somebody else, another fellow musician. Tell us a little bit about that. Okay. Well, it's uh, Aaron Hobson is, uh, is my partner in crime. We taught for many years at a local music store here, Mark's Music, who we all knew and uh, still know. Being retail the way it is with the internet and such, it's closed. But I had been there probably 20 years doing my own thing, just basically renting the space and giving my own lessons. And when that happened, we all had to kind of make a decision, all the teachers, and some of them left. And Aaron and I decided to look for a place and just to start our own teaching facility. And what's the goal with this? Well, we took it up a few notches as far as the teaching part of it. It's primarily about giving lessons. We have probably over 10 different teachers at our disposal right now. I don't have the exact number, but we have expanded the type of lessons that we give. We have uh, voice, piano, drums, band instruments, guitar and bass, of course, ukulele, mandolin, whatever you want to learn, we have access to teachers, whether they're part-time that come in and give a couple lessons or, you know, more of a full-time schedule. And God knows we need it around here. we got musicians all over the place. We don't want them going out half-cocked thinking That's they right. know what they're doing. That's right. They, we, they need some schooling. That's right. We, we'll corrupt them, we'll, get them ready for the... We'll corrupt young minds. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. And so. they'll, next thing you know, they'll be becoming full-time musicians and Yep, hopefully. Well, that's great. I mean, that, that's that got to be really gratifying. I give lessons myself, and I love kind that's of right. talking to young people, not just young people, but a lot of them are kids when I teach them, and they're, yep. they're just hungry to learn something. And when they learn how to do something that they've heard before, something they can emulate something that, that's one of their favorite songs or something they've heard on the radio, it's mm-hmm. so exciting to them. Absolutely. Yeah. Very rewarding when you, as you know, can get somebody to when you see the light bulb come on or they're getting it or they're enjoying it and they're seeing or having a realization which only music can really bring. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, and sitting around like this talking with you, you know, it reminds me of the many times we've gotten together in my apartment or, you know, wherever I would live at the time, we'd get together and, you know, talk about music or just hang out, kind of comfortable surroundings, play music. And I had a question for you because way back when, back in the day, we would get together and we'd 
you know, we'd have a couple of beers, whatever, talk about music, listen to Steely Dan or something on the stereo. And <laughs> after we'd have that one beer too many, we'd, we'd get into this <laughs> Not argument. Us. Not us. No, never. <laughs> this, this happened only one time, folks, just one no. time. No, but we, we would start to argue about who's better, the Grateful Dead or the Allman <laughs> Brothers. It was a common argument. You would back the Allman Brothers. I would back the Grateful Dead. Of course. And I think the reason for that is you, you were backing the instrumentalists, you know, the, the, Absolutely. You know, the musician musicians, and I was backing the songwriters. But you write songs yourself now. How has that informed your feelings for the song itself? Because now that you do it, it must put songwriters in a whole new light for you. Absolutely, and it's funny you touch on that because we're talking about going back many years of that conversation of competing who's better, or this band or that. Having matured myself, well, as a younger person, as I was growing up musically and otherwise, really admiring, like you say, the, the technical aspect maybe more so than the artistic per se or the, the art form of writing a song and less is more and all that. And if I look at songs that are Jerry Garcia and Steve Hunter wrote brilliant songs now that I would never fall, and it's really not a competition, as we all know in the end. It's, it's know, all great music. It's like having a favorite baseball team or something where you, you, know, you like this team or that team, and, but we're all in the same league together. Well, one thing I always liked about you, we, we were always like-minded people in this way, and it, it made it fun to hang out with musicians that you also like and, and like a lot of the same music, is we kind of filled in each other's little spots that we didn't know much about. Uh, you, know, you were always into heavy metal at one point sure. when you were younger. Yep. And I never really was that much. I mean, a little bit as a teenager, but you know, you guys kind of brought that side out in me. Mm-hmm. And I noticed you, you were a James Taylor fan. We'd go to James right. Taylor shows. Yep. So we all kind of Absolutely. had a little bit of an influence on each other. Definitely. And now we're trying to kind of spread that as well yeah. uh, to younger people and just... You Absolutely, know, you, you got to infl- you got to pass it on in music. Absolutely, it's, it's a general rule. You have to do it. What I'm interested in now, all this talk about music, has made me want to hear some more. <laughs> I want to hear something off of one of your albums. Okay, well, I'll play us a song, another new one that I'm working on. As we were talking earlier about the blues thing, mm-hmm. this one is a complete blues song through and through. Um, another one that I play all the instruments on. Even the name, my baby, she don't come home, is what it's called. Sounds bluesy. All right, let's hear it. She don't come home, she stays out all night My baby, she don't come home and it sure don't feel right My baby, she don't come home, make me feeling so bad My baby, she don't come home, make me feeling so sad Well, my baby, she don't come home Yeah, she stays out all night Well, my baby, she don't come home and it sure don't feel alright Well, my baby, she's out till a quarter to three I know she's up to no good cause she ain't here with me And I'm feeling so lost and I feel so alone And I just wish I could get my baby back home Well, my baby, she don't come home Yeah, she stays out all night Well, my baby, she don't come home And it sure don't feel alright Oh, come on home, baby
even want to let it out of my sight I can't stop thinking about where she might be And I can't stop thinking about what she's been doing to me Well, my baby, she don't come home Yeah, she stays out all night Well, my baby, she don't come home And it sure don't feel all right Well, my baby, she don't come home And it sure don't feel all right Break my heart Uh, a selection called My Baby She Don't Come Home a blues song and is as cliche as I could have asked it, it was pretty cliche but in a cool way because we love the blues yes and, and you embodied the blues in that song I tried I wrote that a long time ago and never really recorded it and just when I started recording at home experimenting I used that song kind of as a uh, template to try out sounds and play the instruments and it actually came out good so I, hang, I hung on to it it sounds great you had mentioned earlier about an album that we made in 94 and now the weather yes I love reminiscing about this stuff because there's so many fun memories associated with it and also memories that aren't so great because it's tough yeah. trying to make it in the music business as you know yeah. and it's it's hard because you got to go out and you and you got to not Night after night, just plug your wares and try to just hope that somebody notices you, and you're, you're just lost in the sauce all the time. I mean, and, yeah. and you've got labels, and yep. you get dropped from the label, and you get picked up by a label, and you get dropped again, and it's it's a lot of hit or miss. Yeah. And that that's the name of the game. That that's just how it is. That's the music business. Well, yeah, it's funny you mention that because when I in the last show I'd mentioned that I found the CD. I was going through some piles of CDs I had and that was one of them and I opened it up and played the whole thing and thought about it. I was just like, wow, this sounds so good and so raw in a good way. How young we were and how good it all was and like you say, it's a lot of it just gets washed away over time and you know, the things that could have been, so to speak. Do you remember the first recording we ever made together? Saturday Girls. Saturday Girls, that's right. You remembered. That song becomes 32 years old, that recording, this year. Wow. In fact, last month, in March. That's right. It, it became 32 years. Uh, I didn't get my phone call. Oh, you usually get a call. I usually call you At every year, right? At the anniversary, right? yes. And I didn't do it this year. Usually there's a comment like, when I guess when it was 21 years old, that now our song could be drinking legally. Our song could be drinking. Graduating college, already... Five years into a 401k plan. Well, I don't know what 31, 32-year-olds do, but yeah. that, that's what the record can be doing now. I don't remember. I remember hiring you. I hired you for like $20 and a sandwich, I think it was. 
and it was uh, you and John Coghill. He was the guitar player yeah. in our band. And I saw you guys playing together in all these campus bands all the time. And I loved the way you guys played together. I thought, well, I'll never have a, a guys like that in my band. But I had just made a deal to go to the Clubhouse studio when it was up in Germantown. And we had Paul Antonell on the show. We were talking to him about this a couple of weeks ago. I talked to him on the phone, and he said, well, you have a band, right? And I said, oh, of course. I was afraid to tell him I didn't have a band. <laughs> sure enough, I didn't. But did I? You yes. Know? I was like, you know. I'm going to go. I'm going to approach those guys. And I thought maybe if I came to you guys with time in the studio already booked, like I had a project, maybe I can pique your interest, it entice you, right? right? These guys, I don't know if they've recorded before, but who doesn't want to record in the studio, you know? Exactly. At, at that age, everything was so new. So I talked to you guys, and you said, well... We'll get back to you. We'll get back to you, like right. That. It was like, I have to hear the song. Right. I have to hear the song, you know, because you guys had integrity. So you, you had to make sure you weren't going to play Lord. on just anything. So I remember meeting in my room, and we played the song. To me, it was just, I, I hate to sound corny, but it, it was magical. It was. Because the rapport was already there. Just, uh, absolutely. you know, maybe not developed as it was to be, to be, yep. but it was really, that chemistry was there right away. And I just, I thought, we're going to, I can't believe what we're going to get on tape. So we went and we did the recording. We, we all stayed at my parents' house. Yep. We, we were actually in, I don't know if you remember this, but we were actually in a horror movie the night before we recorded for the very first time. I do. In a graveyard somewhere. Was, I don't know why we were in the graveyard, but they were filming something there. Well, I was showing you the neighborhood where I grew up okay. because we were staying overnight at my parents' house. And my mom was making uh, bagels with ham and, and cheese. And you kept saying, and it smelled great. You know, and you kept oh, yeah. saying, is it ready yet? Is it ready yet? Is it? I'm like, no, it's not ready yet. So finally... I was very hungry. You were very hungry. And we were all pretty hungry. And after we feasted on bagels... We decided to go for a walk. I'd show you around the neighborhood, and yep. there was a cemetery around the corner from where I grew up, and there was an eerie blue light emanating from the graveyard, I remember. What is that? And we just kind of stumbled in there to see what was going on, and they were filming a movie. Yep. Later, I found out it was called Grave Robbers, and I don't know if it was ever released. Thus the setting. Thus the setting. <laughs> Very appropriate. Right. Uh, just weird stuff happens. When, when you're a musician, yeah. I noticed... You just find yourself in strange circumstances all the time. I don't really Absolutely. know. How does that happen? Uh, it's crazy. I mean, it's there's endless stories. It's just you fall into these situations and you wouldn't have been in otherwise. And it all comes back to whether you're in the whatever band or whatever gig you're doing or wherever you are that you wouldn't normally have been otherwise. I remember the first time we played in the city together. Uh, we played at a place called the Bond Street Cafe. Yes. And there was a bouncer was like seven feet tall, this big Jamaican guy, and we had to get paid from him, and <laughs> nobody wanted to ask him for money. That's <laughs> right. We probably never did. I don't think we did. I think we made like 27 cents that night, you know. And right. most of the time you go down there, you're trying to showcase and have sure. somebody, you know, see your set or something like that, and you're just hoping to make enough money to buy a burger on the way home or something. Right. I remember the bank, we, we, the days before the GPS, and we were trying to find this place, and of course, got there 45 minutes into what would have been our hour-long set. That's right. The bank was this club in Greenwich Village. I don't think it's there anymore, but she was so angry because we, we were late that when we went up on stage, we got about three songs in, and she got up on stage and unplugged all the equipment. That's right. And it was just silent. It was nothing. And yes. I remember as we were packing up, we'll see if you remember this, but as we were packing up that night, 
there was this guy, the shady guy, kind of right. hanging around Homeless us. Homeless guy. Out, Homeless out guy. Out of the curb, yeah. And he said, hey, you mind if I help you pack up? And we were like, uh, no, that's all right. We don't, we don't need any help, buddy. And he's like, hey, I noticed the club owner. She's mad at you guys. She was being a real you-know-what. And uh, yep. if you guys want... For two hundred dollars, I'll I'll burn this place down tonight when you guys go home. <laughs> right. It's like, like well, no we, thanks. We didn't get paid two hundred. We, we can't. We didn't. We don't have two hundred to pay you. So right, you know. and probably not the right approach. Regardless, <laughs> it's not how you uh, win friends and influence people. Exactly. That's right. That's right. But he was serious. That was the scary part. He would have done it, which that's. New York for you at you know, times, I guess. You know, when you're a musician, it's it's feast or famine. It's either yep. glory or just down in the dumps. I mean, I remember yep. playing the bottom line. We had a great, great yes. night. We were treated like celebrities. We had our name on the marquee. I mean, this is one of the best clubs in New York City. We, we really earned it. It took a long time. It took two years to book that yeah. that gig. And I remember two nights later, we're playing up in Hudson, New York, in some dive and they pay us to go home because they wanted to listen to the jukebox, and they kept turning the jukebox on over us. And finally, the owner comes over to me and he says, "Rick, we'll pay you in full, but can you guys just go home?" <laughs> and we did. We went. We went back to my apartment. We finished the gig with some beer. You That's know? right. We just went and we we said we'll make our own gig. We got paid anyway. We'll go home and relax. And yep. so you know, one one night you're out in the weeds being disrespected the next night you're in new york city and you feel like a god and yep. there's doesn't seem like there's a lot of in-betweens no it's 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 one thing or the other and the next day you have to pick yourself up and start all over again and that's but we do it because we love it and that's really the bottom line no pun intended <laughs> but uh yeah i think it was uh steve i was asked by one of his students something like uh, how do i know whether i should become a professional musician or not and he said well you've just answered your own question if you have to ask then go find another job it's really funny you should say that because i have a kind of a thing myself when a young musician may ask me for advice or whatever i always tell them don't do it <laughs> don't do it don't do it Stay in school, do this, do that. Don't follow any of the footsteps of mine. Give it up before you get too serious. And the thing is, if they ignore that advice and do it anyway, they're probably a musician. Exactly. Same idea. Same idea. Yep, so exactly. It's a topsy-turvy world, you know, what, what yes. is rock, playing rock and roll. It's still the best job in the world, though, despite the uh, the ups and downs, I think. I wouldn't trade it for anything. I, I'm a lifer. You called us one time. Lifers. That's correct. That's the phrase that you used. Uh, I couldn't have put it better. We are lifers. For better or for worse, this is this yeah. is how we're going to spend our days. Yep. We are 50 years in and uh, another 50 hopefully ahead of this. I, I hope so. I'm still, you know, it reminds me of another argument we used to get into after a couple of beers, maybe, maybe <laughs> some whiskey, is the Frank, I'll call it the Frank Sinatra argument, where he was late in his career and he was starting to uh, fail a little bit and he, he had passed out on stage you said oh I, I don't want that ever to happen to me I'm going to quit long before it gets to that point where I'm falling over and embarrassing myself in front of the audience and I said I want to play until I'm literally falling down on stage and passing out like of course, I, I changed my mind since right, then. Well, <laughs> may not be the greatest idea. Well, it's know. but I understand it, and now I feel more. And even though I, you know, back then things are different to us the way we see things. But it, you did have a very good point, though. Although, and and it, it does happen as you see to a lot of aging musicians who live very old and continue to perform. That yeah. it's just not the same, obviously. But 
That being said, BB King, all of them, they play till they drop, and I know that's what we're going to do. Yeah, they're going to have to drag me away. I agree with that. And whatever I said then, I'm sure whatever context it was, I know now that it's there's really no choice. There's no choice. So that's what lifers are. You have no choice. You yeah. know, we've carved out this path for ourselves, for better or for worse. You know, music is a very important thing to musicians, and it's the most important thing in my life. I can't think of, you know, other than, you know, my family and my friends and, sure, and everybody's yeah. health and well-being yes. as something to do with my time in life. There's nothing better than music. I agree. It's also the last uh, real hope that the world has, in my opinion. You look at all the crazy stuff that's going on. Music is the the only real, true, universal things that, that crosses all boundaries. Men, women, black, white. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's a beautiful thing, music. There's nothing else like it, no other art form, and most people realize that, and it's, it's just such an important part of life that can't be belittled ever. Well said. Oh, and by the way, I just remembered another story. I want your comment on this because you were there. We've played, we mentioned the Rick Z band and how we played for 12 years in that band, but we didn't mention anything about the other bands that we played in together. True. One of which was a band called Little Giant. I'm sure you remember that. Yep. It was originally a three-piece, me and two other guys, mm-hmm. and then you came in as our lead guitar player. Uh, probably the first time I've ever heard you play in a band where you were playing lead guitar. Uh, That's right. I think so. I, I think it was. Absolutely. Uh, and it was it, it was a complete upgrade to the band. And we played about 100 gigs together, all of us, and we did radio shows and all kinds of stuff. And we yeah. were playing in New York City one time. On the way home, I think the check engine light came on. Yes. This is another thing with musicians is you're always traveling here and there at all different times of the, the day and night. And anything can go wrong. It certainly so, does. Yeah. Well, we ran out of radiator fluid, I believe. Well, the hose broke in the radiator. Right. There was a rip in the hose. or whatever. We didn't have any water or anything or radiator fluid to put in there. And we were we didn't know how we were going to get home. So how, how do I put this delicately? <laughs> well, we had some liquids with us, like perhaps beer. We may have had some beer. Maybe, maybe, maybe water. Maybe water. But having drank the beer, we also had, um, we, I guess, uh, bodily fluids that we were able to contribute to the radiator. We were. And in desperate times, you know, it calls for desperate measures. So That's right. We did, we did get some of that liquid into the radiator, enough to get home, And actually. we taped up the hose, if anyone's wondering how it didn't leak out again. We had some duct tape, which fixes everything. Well, the next day, we had another gig in the city. We had to go back down. So what do you normally do? You want to you want to check the engine. You want to make sure the things that happened the night before don't happen again. So correct. You finish the story. Well, our drummer Matt, he had this big station wagon, which is the uh, the car we are talking about right now. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, I asked him. I said, "Well, have you checked the uh, radiator since we're going to be driving? Is it holding up?" And he said, "No." And I said, "Well, I'll go out and check it." So what he didn't tell me is that he had just driven the car about five minutes before that, and the fluid was hot and so pressurized. I, yes. So when I opened the cap, basically all the liquid that we had put in last night blew up all over me in my face and my clothes and wherever else in my hair. Oh man! So you paint the picture. I was not happy. Yeah, that was not a that was not a happy moment, but a funny one. Yes, in hindsight. And we have the story forever. So yes, to cherish, <laughs> to, to cherish. And you know, speaking of Little Giant, I kind of feel like listening to a recording that we made together with Little Giant uh, to kind of take the show out. Yeah, that would be great. You want to hear that? Absolutely. Remember the song Live Till 21? I do. We recorded, where did we record that? That I don't remember. Wasn't that the clubhouse? It was at some small... Was it Andy Dykeman's place? I think Andy Dykeman's. He had a little home studio or like something like that. a 16-track studio yeah. or something like that. Yeah. It came out pretty good. 
Yeah, we I, sound like young and enthusiastic gentlemen. Yes, the good old days. Let's take a listen to that. Let's do it.
try and find yourself some fun. You're alive, alive till 21. Wow, well, that brings back memories. It certainly does. It reminds me of the time we did that tour with Little Giant. It was like an upstate New York tour. Someplace in North Creek, there was a snowstorm, and we played at RPI uh, up in Albany or Troy. Yeah, for like a fraternity party, big one. Right. I remember they were were dancing and having a good time, and we were playing, and then we stopped, and they turned on the music while we were taking a break. And they were all dancing and having a good time, and and we thought, oh, they're going to kill us. If we right. got to start up again and interrupt, you know, them dancing to this dance music. That's right. And I think it was you had the great idea to let's learn the song that's that they're listening to. Right, as it's playing. As it's playing. And we start playing it, and then we turn off the music, and they didn't even notice. They did not. They just kept dancing. They didn't even notice that we'd switch to us. That's right. Brilliant. And we, oh, how, who could forget the Cadillac Motel in Rochester? Oh, yeah. That was a, a scary, scary place. The cheapest room you could find in town. It's the cheapest room in town, despite the uh, hoity-toity name it had. Yes. Yeah. Right, very fitting name, but, you know, it was an experience for sure. It, it was certainly an experience. We all shared the room together and the experience together. Well, this is just so disappointing. Our time has just come to an end. There was so much more to talk about. Will you come on sometime in the future and and we'll continue this conversation? I would love that. That would be great. Carl, it's just been a pleasure to have you on the show. It's just like sitting around talking about old times. Absolutely. It's a lot of fun. Uh, It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun, as they say. That's another expression we used all the time. That's a lot of fun. Right. We'll talk about that next time. That's another thing about musicians. We all have weird expressions. We speak a language that... Only other musicians understand, and the rest of the world just stare at us agog. That's right, agog. Wishing they could be us. That's well, maybe maybe not. We'll, May- we'll see. Maybe not totally <laughs> wishing they could be exactly. us. Exactly. Yeah. And thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. We'll see you next week for another exciting episode of The Rick Z Show. I'm your host, Rick Z. We'll see you then.